Esther chapter 1. This is a really interesting book of the Bible because it's the only book of the Bible that's a full comedy from beginning to end. So it's just like all the comic movies you've ever seen. In a comedy, things work out in the end, everything is restored, the guy gets the girl, and all that stuff. Plus, comedies usually have humor, and the book of Esther has a lot of humor. So that's how you should read this book. And in the end of the book, there's a big party, which is also consistent with a comedy. Often there will be a wedding party at the end of a comic movie or some other event where people have fun and party. And in reality, the Jews were commanded to continue having that party every year for the rest of history. And so to this day, they still celebrate the party that was celebrated at the end of the story that's in the book of Esther. And that party is called Purim, P-U-R-I-M. And it's a holiday that the Jews celebrate to this very day. It's a funny holiday where you wear masks and you play games and you have lots and lots of fun. It's like a carnival type holiday because it celebrates when good conquered evil and when the Jewish people were saved from the wicked Haman and his legions. And in this book, Haman represents Satan. And this entire book represents when we go to heaven and we have a big party in heaven and we celebrate that Satan is forever destroyed in the lake of fire with his demons. It's an amazing book and we'll talk more about all of it. But I just want to point out that it is a comedy. It is not a melodrama. It's not serious at all. The themes are serious, and we will learn serious lessons when we're reading the book of Esther. And the themes are very messianic. We will see Jesus a lot in the book of Esther, and we'll see the gospel in the book of Esther. But the book itself and the story itself is a humorous story. And in Hollywood, they've gotten it wrong every single time. And it really disappoints me that even the Christian movie industry has gotten Esther wrong and played it out as a melodrama. Enjoy this book. It should make you laugh and it should make you have a good time and really feel good. And it should put you in the mood to enter heaven and celebrate with Jesus in heaven for all of eternity. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus who reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. Ahasuerus reigned over all of Persia, which included a hundred and twenty-seven provinces. At this time, the Jews were exiled, and many of them had been captured. They were originally captured by the Babylonians and taken into Babylon, and Daniel was one of those who were captured, and he ended up working for three kings of Babylon, and we'll read his book later. But then, after Babylon had control of Israel for a while, then it passed over control to Persia, and Persia had control of Israel. Ahasuerus is the father of King Artaxerxes, who was mentioned in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. And Artaxerxes played a key role in helping the Jews to return to build the wall in Jerusalem. But before him, his father was reigning, and this book of Esther talks about his father's reign. 2. That in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the castle, 
three, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the army of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces, being before him. This castle in Shushan, there are remains of it still in existence. It's in Iran. This place where Queen Esther lived, the remains of it are still in existence, and you can actually walk through those remains of this very palace. 4. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellence, majesty, many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. He had been reigning for three years, and they threw an event that lasted a hundred and eighty days to showcase his palace and his reign as king. 5. And when these days were fulfilled, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the castle, both great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, right there in the luxurious, beautiful garden of the Persian king. They were having a seven-day feast, and all the locals, whether you were powerful or humble, you were invited. 6. There were hangings of white, fine cotton, and blue, bordered with cords of fine linen and purple upon silver rods, and pillars of marble. The couches were of gold and silver, upon a pavement of green and white, and shell and onyx marble. This is amazing. It might be comparable to Solomon's palace and his kingdom. And all of the colors and materials mentioned here are crucial because King Ahasuerus is going to represent God, the Father, in this story. Even though he is a flawed king, he's a pagan, he's definitely flawed, he definitely makes mistakes, but in an indirect way, he's going to represent God in this story. This story is a real event that really happened, but it's also a parable. And each of the characters in this story represent an aspect of our salvation story. So Ahasuerus represents God. Now notice, he had fine white cotton cloth hanging to decorate, along with blue cloth decorating the palace for this event. White represents righteousness, and blue represents holiness. And all righteousness and all holiness comes from God. That's why these two colors were used, because God was using Ahasuerus as a type of himself or a remembrance of himself, even though Ahasuerus certainly didn't know this. Silver and gold are also mentioned, which were used in Solomon's temple, and there's precious pure gold in heaven. There were cords of purple, and purple means majesty and kingship, and God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has all majesty. 7. And they gave them drink in vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another. Each golden cup is different from the other golden cups, so this must have been so beautiful to have each guest drinking out of a unique golden cup. The royal wine in abundance according to the bounty of the king, and wine represents the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is in abundance for our salvation. 8. And the drinking was according to the law, none did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Nobody was forced to drink. Every man was allowed to drink as he chose. God never forces you to receive the blood of Jesus Christ for salvation. That's a choice that God allows each person to make for his or herself. 
9. Also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. It was typical to give the queen her own palace, which would be smaller than the king's. Solomon did this for his queen, and here Ahasuerus has done this for his queen as well. She has her own mini palace or smaller palace. 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bizatha, Harbana, Bigtha, and Abigath, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that ministered in the presence of Ahasuerus the king. 11. To bring Vashti, the queen, before the king with royal crown to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. King Ahasuerus had a beautiful wife, and he wanted to present her on the final day of the feast to his people so that they could appreciate her beauty and what he had done for her by giving her that glorious crown. Her clothes came from King Ahasuerus, and so did her crown, so he wanted to dress her beautifully and show her to the people. In the book of Ezekiel, God talks about how he found Israel a throwaway child who wasn't even cleaned off after being birthed and was left in the dirt covered in blood and mucus and nobody even cleaned the baby. But God found that baby Israel and washed it off and cleaned it and clothed it in fine white linen and nurtured it and grew it up to be a beautiful woman and dressed her. And then she practiced paganism and turned her back on the Lord, which we read about in all of those previous books of history. Here Vashti has been dressed and crowned and made beautiful by the king, but she is going to reject him just like Israel rejected God. King Ahasuerus has sent seven of his ministers to go and fetch her and escort her to his palace so that he can show her to his people. 12. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by the chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned in him just like God was angry with the Israelites when they rejected him time and time again. 13. Then the king said to the wise men, who knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that knew law and judgment. The king is turning to his counselors, saying, What should I do? I am furious. King Ahasuerus is highly flawed because he's a human being, so he isn't God. He isn't like God. He only represents God in this story in some aspects, but he in no way is like God. He's a very flawed man. And so he's mad at his wife because she refused to come to his party. She was holding her own party at her own palace, and she didn't want to leave her palace to go to his palace. She didn't want to leave her guests, but she has disobeyed him, and his pride is wounded because his own wife disobeyed him, and he's king of Persia after all, king of the world, because at this time Persia was controlling the world. It was the big empire that controlled many other nations. So he was like literally king of the world, and she had refused him. His ego is severely wounded. 14. And next unto him was Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meriz, Marsena, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat the first in the kingdom. Those seven men are like his cabinet or his top advisors, and he's asking them what to do. 
15. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to law, forasmuch as she hath not done the bidding of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains? The chamberlains were the first seven men that were sent to go get her, but she refused to go with them. 16. And Memican answered before the king and the princes, He is one of the top advisers. And he said, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the peoples that are in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. 17. For this deed of the queen will come abroad unto all women to make their husbands contemptible in their eyes, when it will be said the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. This is another hilarious moment. It makes me laugh because... Here's a group of men, all with wounded egos on behalf of the king, saying, what are we going to do about this woman? Because if she gets away with disobeying the king, then all the women in all the provinces will start disobeying their husbands, and then it will be like anarchy. There won't be any peace in any home. We won't know who's wearing the pants in the family, and the whole kingdom will be in disarray because the women will start wearing the pants, and the men won't have any say in anything. So that's what these men, the seven advisors, and the king himself are all concerned about. This sounds exactly like a Shakespearean comedy. 18. And this day will the princesses of Persia and Media, who have heard of the deed of the queen, say, The like unto all the king's princes, so will there arise enough contempt and wrath. They're now saying, Not only will the women of the land disobey their husbands, but the princesses will disobey their husbands, the princes. And then the princes won't have any peace in their own home. They won't be king of their own home. This is the comic setup. This is the beginning of the story where everything is wrong. It's all going to be righted. But right now, all the men are terrified that their women are going to take over their homes. 19. If it please the king, let there go forth a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and that the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. What they're saying is they're going to depose her. She won't be queen anymore because she refused to obey the king. She doesn't deserve to be queen. They're going to take her crown away and give it to another woman. And this is what happened with God and the Israelites. The Israelites have eternal blessing from the Lord and their story hasn't ended. But he did, in a sense, take away their birthright as the chosen people and grant it to anyone who follows him. And that includes both Israelites and non-Jewish people. If we repent of our sins and follow Jesus and put all of our trust in him, we will be saved and inherit eternal life. But that eternal life was first granted to the Jews, and they rejected the Lord as a whole, although there are many Jews today that are saved. But as a whole, the nation has rejected Jesus. So now God has offered salvation to everybody on the planet. So this also is typology. 20. And when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout all his kingdom, great though it be, all the wives will give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. These eight men, the seven counselors along with King Ahasuerus, are agreeing that we have to punish Vashti, otherwise no man will be the ruler in his own home. 
But if we punish her, then peace will be restored in the land and all the husbands and wives will get along in harmony. This is really hilarious. We'll have more funny moments as the book continues. 21. And the word pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memacan. 22. For he sent letters unto all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and speak according to the language of his people. In the Christian gospel of the New Testament, the husband is the spiritual leader. The New Testament does teach that women are not allowed to teach their own husbands. It has to be the other way around. Women can teach in general, but they cannot instruct their own personal husband. It's forbidden in the New Testament, and that's because that disturbs God's order. Now, there's a big responsibility with being a man because the New Testament also commands that men have to lay down their lives to protect their wives if necessary. That if the only way to protect your wife is to let yourself be killed, you are commanded in the New Testament to do that. So men have a heavy burden too. Women aren't the only ones who carry a burden in the marriage relationship. The woman only has to obey. But the man is commanded to love his wife as his own body and lay down his life for his wife and provide for all of her needs. So in my opinion, the heavier burden is actually on the husband, not the wife. As much as our society thinks that it's no fun to obey somebody, in my opinion, it's a lot easier to obey somebody who's taking care of you than to be the one who has to do all of the providing and the taking care of and the sacrificing. Unfortunately, a lot of men and women don't understand that, that the heavier burden is on the man. So a lot of men in our society refuse to perform their duty in the marriage, which is to care for their wife. And a lot of women, on the other hand, refuse to obey their husbands because neither party understands that the heavier burden is actually on the husband. That concludes Esther chapter 1.